Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. 1CA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with the partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassoc.org. I'll have those in the show notes. Today, Courtney Mulhern interviews Dan Joseph, author of the Combat Psych website and the book Backpack to Rucksack, Insight into Leadership and Resilience for Military Experts. His articles and tools are to help soldiers and their families build mental fitness and overcome past trauma so that they can live healthier, happier lives. As you know from Courtney Mulhern's episode, she's a practicing therapist and a terrific interviewer. So I put the two together for this episode. This is part two. I'll have a link to his site in the show notes. So back to Courtney. Talks like that from your leadership alleviates some of that stress and anxiety put on maybe some younger folks that don't have super high resiliency quite yet because they're, they're younger and they're still working on it. So to hear that from leaders, I think that's really great. And that kind of goes in line with your, your next book, The Combat Psych Handbook. It's a bit less narrative and it has just more practical examples evoking more dialogue. Just tell us a little bit more about your thoughts behind writing this handbook. Yeah, so Tammy Pulaski wrote the uh, forward to the book. It's dedicated to her son, Jeremiah. Essentially, what Tammy said was if he had known how to describe his feelings, maybe he'd still be alive today. I asked her to write the forward to the book because what he experienced after war, not understanding how to process the weight that he felt, that was a lot of what my soldiers still struggle with, not necessarily just from war, but from a variety of issues, but how much more so for the service members who have been to war. And so I wanted to give a very quick streamlined approach, almost like a break glass in case of emergency type book where it's, hey, I got the stuff that's stuck inside of me. I don't know what it is. So they could flip through the chapters and it's supposed to be like a kind of a diagnostic. Like, hey, what are you struggling with? Look at the chapters. They're actually alphabetical A through Z. Uh, it's like the first chapter is about anxiety, aggression, avoidance, assertion. There's specific prompts that deal with how the brain is processing any one of these circumstances. And I specifically wanted to give these troops the phrases that they may not even know are occurring within their minds subconsciously. Because in psychology, there's something called the aha moment, and you can't fabricate that. It's a resolution to cognitive dissonance, this internal conflict that exists that we try to self-medicate. But once you realize the truth of what's causing that, it's this instantaneous kind of release of pressure, just this big breath of like, oh, that's what it was, right? That's what I was struggling with. It's because this person said this, and it reminded me of when this other person said that all these different subconscious variables. And so all this to say, again, thinking about Jeremiah's story, how we lost him as a soldier and and his mom is now a gold star mom. It's just heartbreaking. And so like, I I want to, um, I want to help shatter that, that paradigm and let them know your feelings are valid. Your feelings have a neurological basis. They are worth looking at. And it's something that I struggled with personally, to be totally transparent with you. 
uh, when I was self-medicating, I didn't know the, the trauma I experienced. Jiu-Jitsu brought it out of me. I started having flashbacks on the mats. I started having panic attacks. I started having the freeze response, the flight response, critical words inside of my head telling me I'm worthless and that just it, things got really dark, you know, and self-medication was all I could do to, to numb myself out. And then I realized how powerful psychology was in understanding all this. And again, when we look at the military, look at how much care we put into our vehicles and our weapon systems just to keep things going. So let's, let's do some brain maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. I see a lot of topics in this handbook, the A to Z, that are not typically fun words associated with like shame or depression or fear and ego. It doesn't elicit a very comfortable response when you think about these words, but I also think that's the point. Words do have that stigma or feelings associated with them, but I think if we normalize these topics and make them more comfortable, the more we talk about them, we can find the words, like you were saying, to what these look like. I think that's a takeaway, is to just get more comfortable with really heavy topics if we want to move forward within ourselves and the military. Definitely. You know, I was talking to one of my soldiers from my platoon about how a lot of people were self-medicating with alcohol consumption for one thing. And I like to ask the question, what are you drinking about? And there's a reason behind it. And oftentimes, unfortunately, we don't know. People don't understand. I mean, I'm tense. I'm stressed. I'm pent up. I got to decompress. But I'll dig into the specifics. Let's ask the whys. What's stressing them out? Why is it an issue? Why the volatility in it? And oftentimes what we experience in present day reaches back to a past experience that we had. That's not something most people will just voluntarily want to do. And I understand that. But again, this book is free on the website. The entire PDF is totally free because I want them to have a resource to flip through and start to work on things. Because what's cool about the brain if you look at it as sort of a selective algorithm, something is going to pop out viscerally. They'll have a reaction to it. So a word or a phrase like shame or fear or maladaptive behaviors or whatever it is, depending on their linguistic strengths and whatnot. But I want to create a book where they can guide themselves through their feelings as much as possible. And especially because not a lot of service members want to go to behavioral health, not a lot of combat veterans want to disclose to psychologists things that they experienced. And I know that firsthand through people who've told me that there's things they wanted to discuss that they've never shared with anybody. And it can get critical if they have a flashback or if they fall into a depressive cycle, they will need professional help. At least let's get them open to that privately. So if they read a book like this privately and they acknowledge, yep, I've got some issues. My marriage is falling apart. I'm doing this to my spouse. I'm talking like this to my children. Or this is the phrase that always pops in my head when I look at my reflection in the mirror. Then give them those words, and then maybe they could begin to seek counsel to work on themselves. Yeah, and I was even thinking, I just have really good practical examples on here that would do really well in small group discussions. I was thinking on a drill weekend for us in the reserve, facilitating some of these discussions. This is just a really great resource to have. I am a social worker on the civilian side and just a big fan of small group settings, big fan of AA and A. I just think there's a huge power in a group. 
and sharing on a topic that's not normally discussed in normal conversation. And so I think just facilitating discussions as a leader, I think is really important. And this is just a great resource to have. Thanks. That's kind of the, the dream that I have is just seeing these discussions happen. And again, it's not about the right or wrong answer here. It's about the talks. Yeah. And I think it's about the process too. It's not just the right answer or it's, it's not like a one answer will solve everything. It's the process. And like you said, a word might stick out and somebody might relate to that and, and be willing to share. And that might speak to another person in the group. So big fan of that. And then moving on to your third book, The Black Belt Mindset, Mastering Anxiety Through the Power of Breath. What was the inspiration behind this book? So when I was in the Army working on my master's degree, I was prompted by one of the professors to basically structure a psychology study and not actually do the study, not conduct it, but just structure one. So I chose jujitsu and anxiety management because I, again, had the flashbacks and all my issues on the mats and jujitsu. So I was like, well, let me study the psychology of what martial arts does to the human brain. And that blew up into a, a 32 black belt study that I just asked about how sports and how you know, psychology is impacted by anxiety and what they experience physiologically, how they use breath control or don't use breath control. So I studied the black belts who analyze threats in a way different way. It's so different than what a normal human would look at a threat. So if you grab the throat of a black belt, they're not looking at it as, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. A black belt will look at a hand approaching their throat as points of leverage, points of distance and modifying somebody's base and their center of gravity in order to throw them or bend their arm a certain way to either break it or to get past them. And so they are able to appraise the situation differently and therefore they're able to self-regulate and they're able to self-soothe. They're able to downregulate their limbic response, their amygdala. They're able to, to trigger a, a calm, a sense of calm amidst chaos. So this book goes through kind of my interview process, what these black belts told me about what they experienced psychologically and emotionally, and just lessons learned that I wanted to apply. So how would you say jujitsu is beneficial to service members or what are some parallels that go alongside having a discipline like that as it relates to leadership in the military? So it goes back to one story I learned in OCS. We heard this story from an EOD and he told us how there was an IED that exploded and took out multiple vehicles and there were some service members who were injured and some who were dying and the medic rushed to the scene and in front of this EOD who's attempting to minimize any further casualties, the medic began to panic. And when the medic started panic, the soldiers were looking at the medic and they were starting to panic. So this EOD ran up to the medic, grabbed him and said, listen, you need to take a breath. You need to calm down and you need to try to save these people. Do your job. You know what to do. But he said, everyone's looking at you. If you freak out, everyone's going to freak out. So I need you to be here right now and do what you can. And right then the medic snapped back to the present moment and began to execute and save lives. And so this EOD told us as junior officers to understand that both calm is contagious and panic as well. So be the person who induces a sense of calm in the unit. Now in jujitsu, when I'm getting choked out or I'm getting smothered by one of the upper belt men or they're just absolutely crushing me, if I begin to panic, I will hyperventilate and I will lack the ability to survive that round. The more I breathe chaotically, the less air I'm taking in efficiently, 
my diaphragm isn't getting activated. Everything is on the upper chest. I'm not getting oxygen in my blood because I'm getting smothered. And so what I'm taught by my coaches, my instructors on the mats is to just slow down that breath rate, diaphragmatic breathing, calm down, and then that'll switch on my prefrontal cortex. The science shows this in functional MRIs and whatnot. When the prefrontal cortex switches back on, I will jump back into a, a higher brain functioning where I can think about the sequence of moves that I need to execute to change the situation. What variables can I control? What can I do with my body to defend myself and to work the move and to stay oxygenated so I don't pass out or black out or get choked out or whatever the issue is? And the more I can calm myself down on the mats, the more I can calm myself down in traffic or when as a platoon leader, I'm in the field and a vehicle breaks down and it's 125 degrees and everyone's freaking out because we're not making it to the grid coordinate that we need to be at. Take that breath, calm myself down. <laughs> and then the troops around me will see that and they calm down. But if I'm freaking out and I'm anxious, well, my sparring partner is going to feel that my soldiers are going to feel that. And so this is philosophical wisdom that applies to your whole life. It sounds just like a different level of awareness, too. You talk a lot about self-awareness, and you, you basically have to be in that scenario. You know, talk a lot about mindfulness in terms of mental health and resilience, and you, you have to be in the moment if you're actively you know, engaging with somebody. So I definitely see that benefit to jujitsu. So where would someone even start? Some people could just walk into a gym and start sparring and, and they're good to go. Uh, for me, it was a very awkward start with a friend of mine from high school who graciously brought me to his gym after hours and helped me get through the, the fear and trepidation there. And then that tribal family grew out of that. But yeah, starting with breath control, starting with like yoga, starting with whatever it is to, to kind of gain presence in the body. And it really depends on what people have experienced. There needs to be a special consideration for a very close-knit, trusted group around you. And you just tell people, hey, you know what? I'm, I got some weird physiological responses. I got a freeze response that I'm trying to get through. Can you help me on the mats? And then you find a coach or somebody that says, yes, I will, I will talk to you about your breath awareness. I will remind you to breathe. I literally had to have training partners tell me like, hey, buddy, I need you to breathe. You got to remember to breathe. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's why I was panicking. And so... But again, when, when somebody suffers abuse at a younger age, they go into a rigid freeze response because they couldn't escape the situation. And same with combat. If we're talking about veterans at PTS and they get on the mats and they go through a flashback on the mats, it's going to get weird for them fast. But to let them know, we can discuss it. We can talk about it. I'd say find a coach who's a combat veteran. That really helped me a lot. I rolled with several combat vets. So there was nothing that I would bring to the table that would surprise them. They've been through it. They've worked through it. They've battled through it. And our love for each other grew because of that. That was the biggest game changer for me. It's really powerful that, like you mentioned, with your trauma, to use something positive to address it head on and take yourself back to a vulnerable spot, but in a, a safe environment with people you trust and respect. I think that's really powerful to heal. Yeah, it's called exposure therapy, and it's very important to throttle it accordingly. Because I, I overdid it at times and, and got into panic attacks because I didn't know what it was. Once I found out what it was, I could tell my buddies, like different dudes that I got to roll with, where I got to tell them, hey, man, I got some stuff going on. Can you 
be aware for me. They said, yes, we'll keep an eye on you. Whether you're sparring with us or if you're sparring with someone else, if we see something wrong, we'll help you out. We'll be there for you. And that was so cool. You know, I've paid for therapy before. I've seen a therapist. But then when you get on the mats with someone, therapists can't just start putting me in a rear naked choke, right? Therapists can't do that to me. But one of my buddies can't. And they can also talk to me about my breath. They can also ask me about what I'm feeling. Are there women in jujitsu too? Is that common or is that... I know my gym, there's an all-female class. They've experienced any sort of abuse, physical, sexual abuse, whatever trauma it is, that they do not want a male around them in that capacity. There's an all-women's class, which is cool. So they're, they're protected there. They're on a whole different mat. But then we do have mixed-gender classes where obviously any woman can jump on the mat and roll with us. And so... And again, different people have different boundaries. And so there's that awareness that some feel totally comfortable getting after it and getting aggressive. And that's it's fine. Could be some of them are training for MMA. So like for myself, I didn't like getting hit. If, if we're talking about combat jujitsu, if we're talking MMA. But I guess the point is having emotional intelligence enough to ask people what they're okay with or just reading the room. But yeah, our, our gym definitely has a very large female to male ratio, maybe more so than other gyms. Okay. Cause I gotta say, I don't know uh, some of these names you're, you're using. I don't know what they are, but they don't sound very fun or, you know, I don't yeah, like, I mean, it's, get choked out or anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the big levels. thing that I would say to anybody joining jujitsu is be vocal about what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with. It's okay to have boundaries on the mats. Definitely. And then if you're not super into that, even just kind of you discussed in your book, just basic breath work will just be important. That's something you can do anywhere, anytime. Oh, it's just so important to work on the breath, as we know. Definitely. Diaphragmatic breathing is, man, just like conscious breath effort. It's weird. It's awkward at times. It's it's difficult for a lot of us because we're so used to just being on autopilot. And then to say like, wait a minute, how do I put my breath in my stomach and not in my upper chest? Because once you do that, it activates the parasympathetic response. It activates downregulation of adrenaline. Like the adrenal glands actually secrete less adrenaline when you do that. And so what happens is you automatically start to become aware of different things, different tension in your body, pressure, pain, discomfort, fatigue, or good things, you know, happy things can come out too. It's not all like dark and heavy, but it's just interesting how, you know, we're so caught up in our social media traffic, getting from point A to B, looking a certain way, having whatever it is in our life. And then you breathe and you slow things down. Your brain can then go into this kind of self-diagnostic mode where you, you just begin to naturally scan your body and you begin to feel grounded in the present. But if there's stuff that makes you uncomfortable, it's going to come up as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, okay, so you've got two books coming up here, Bridging Worlds and Motormind. Do you want to share a little bit about those books? Yeah, so the Motormind one is creating analogies about the human brain in terms of a vehicle's engine. So it's supposed to discuss the, the neurocircuitry of the brain in terms of the mechanics of the mind. That's kind of the concept there. So it should be a fun read that allows people to look at the brain, not as just relational, not as just touchy feelings, but what's the science say about the neurocircuits 
and the components of the brain. And then uh, Bridging Worlds is about my story growing up in America as a first-generation child of Middle Eastern immigrants. So it has to do with shame, honor-based cultures and how they differentiate from guilt-based cultures. So an Eastern versus Western kind of conflict of ideologies and how to navigate that. Very cool. Those sound like great reads. You have a diversified repertoire in your in your writing, so that's really, really cool. And then your website, so combatpsych.com. Very nicely done website. It, it has all your work on there, other resources and tools. You've got downloads, which I think kind of just back to a small group. A lot of these are just really great discussion group resources that one can just have with maybe on a drill weekend or something just to kind of get that conversation going so really great website there and links to your books yeah thanks for saying that appreciate the kind words yeah it's all free for the most part the books they can buy on amazon or they can download a couple of them for free on the website but yeah it's it's free stuff so just grab it grab whatever you want use whatever you want i paid a lot out of pocket for therapy for a master's, for all that stuff. And I don't want other people to have to pay for it just because I don't want there to be a paywall between a soldier not living their best life. And so whatever you could use, whatever speaks to you and definitely use it. And uh, I hope it helps. I'm going to upload a self-assessment diagnostic in the next few days, as well as a PDF. And I just want to offer whatever tools that I got in life that carried me forward. I want soldiers especially to have that and anybody else. Yeah, and just overall resilience. That's that's what we want. We want to move forward. We want to grow as people and as, as military members. So combatpsych.com for good resources there. And then what's next for you? Definitely have those books I want to finish and a few more I'm building out the framework for. I will be working with the government on a new job pretty soon. That's protecting our country. I'm really proud of that. But I'm, I'm motivated by the troops that I'm meeting and the, the folks, especially here in San Diego, some of my good friends are just doing some amazing things. I'm meeting some young guys in the Buds Pipeline who are inspiring me. They remind me of my soldiers. In jiu-jitsu, I'm just surrounded by a lot of a lot of veterans. And I, you know, just the community is so inspirational to me. And again, I thought when I got out, I'd just go back into society and Charlie Mike like I did before I joined. But now that I'm out, there's just something so near and dear to my heart when I can hang out with service members and veterans and whatnot. And so I just want to build a life working alongside them and then also giving them tools and helping them become better. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for being here and for sharing your work and your thoughts. Very important topics. Just good to get these conversations going and important to keep up with our mental health and resilience in the military. And did you have any other final thoughts? Again, I got this from JP Lane. He's a really amazing combat veteran that you're worth it he'd always say that to people and i loved it i love how he says that and i would say that to anybody who feels like they're struggling who feels like they're stuck you're worth self-enrichment you're worth becoming your best self because the stronger you become as an individual the stronger your unit will become so invest in that whatever it is look for those resources and tools go to my website go to other websites read books and grow yourself Alrighty. Well, thank you for your time, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. 
Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host. Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.